Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire podcast, uh, football edition, MWR.com. We are rocking through our previews, team previews. Um, apologies that the schedule is not typically week by week as it has been in the past, but, you know, Matt, stuff happens. But we're not going right. to miss any team. We're getting every team. We are recording right before media days, so we'll see how that goes upcoming so we get all that content, preseason polls, and all that type of stuff. But if you listen to this on August 15th, they'll still be great because we're not going to discuss where certain people have certain team drinks, so... We'll see how it goes, but we're doing Wyoming Cowboys, who, uh, if you believe PFF and other um, outlets that project win totals, uh, Cowboys might be a team to be reckoned with, Matt. We'll see how I feel about that, though. They might be, yes. They might not might be. being the operative word there, but that's sort of the, the, the mantra around this team, basically, like, what, the last five, six years post-Josh Allen, probably? They might be. They always have running game. That's good. And a good defense. It's always, yeah. I mean, they they often have, yeah, they often haven't been far away, but I mean, you know, you usually start by reflecting on the season that was and and 2022, quite honestly, wasn't altogether that different from when we do this team preview podcast every summer recently, it seems like it's the same kind of conversation. It's the same old questions that held the Cowboys back and really kept them from, from reaching their ceiling once again. Like, for example, um, you know, they finished 100th overall in SP+, which, you know, may not sound all that great. It's not terrible. Um, yeah. But then you realize they had a fairly dramatic split between their offensive performance, which was 121st, and their defensive performance, which was 66th. And that that also holds true for, you know, their net points per drive. They were 88th overall, but they were 109th on offense and 51st on defense. And, you know, it's that defense that really led the way for them last year. Like, you know, they finished seven and six, but you you look back and you realize, yeah, they had a three game winning streak. And then later on, they had another four game winning streak. And it was you know, in the losing streaks where the offense, you know, really faltered, that ended up telling the story of their season. Um, you know, the defense did its part for the most part, the running game did its part. Um, but, you know, injuries and ineffectiveness at the most important position on the field really kind of betrayed them again. And so, you know, heading into 2023, you know, I think you know, one of the the serious questions about this team is, okay, yeah, they're coming into the year as one of the most experienced teams anywhere in the country. Like in terms of returning production, like they're far and away 
number one in the conference. But like, what is that ultimately going to mean for them? Like, they're, yeah, they're bringing back like something. I'm trying to look up the exact number right now. Um, it's it's seventy four percent, which is tied for eleventh among all FBS teams. But what is that actually going to mean if they don't find more? If they don't find firmer answers for the same questions that have plagued them year after year, like it's one thing. That to say, yeah, the competitive window may, right now might be more wide open than it has been than ever for the Cowboys, especially since, you know, they don't necessarily have to worry about just beating Boise State in the Mountain Division this year. You know, they have, you know, all they have to do is get to the top two. And the path is there for them to do it. But it's the same old questions. Yeah, and like, I feel like last year, real quick, before we keep going forward, all the games the teams lost to, they should have lost. Like I remember, we bashed them on the Illinois loss. Illinois is terrible. Actually, they weren't that terrible last year. But every game they lost to BYU, outside of Air Force, every game they lost to is not unexpected. Losing in the bowl game to Ohio, yeah, like not unexpected in a bowl game. Competition is pretty level. At Fresno, obviously very difficult, and that was a terrible showing. Losing thirty to zero, losing to Boise State, not unexpected. And those like all the losses they had out before knowing what we knew what Illinois was. Every loss they had last year was kind of okay. We could see that. It's not like they're bad losses. That well, thirty to zero and thirty to six because Illinois last year was actually mm-hmm. pretty good. What are they doing? Eight games or something? Look, uh, yeah, not yeah, eight and five. So every loss they last year was a team that was legitimately better than them. It's also like how they lose. Offense didn't show up in two of those bad to those losses. The first and the bookend losses for the first mm-hmm. Illinois, but Andrew Peasley, I guess we can go right there. He's been around as a Utah State before, and he's been around for a minute. He had a couple games over 60%. Like, I think the baseline goal, get this freaking 60% passing, and they'll be fine. Like That'll improve drastically because he had, let's see, four games over 60, but then four under 50. Did you know, I looked this up, I was thinking about his pass, he only passed for 1,500 yards last year. Did you know that? Um, That, that you know, sounds about right. Do you know that's the most since Josh Allen was around? And Josh Allen only hit 1,800 about his last I, year. Okay, that I did not know. That's not many yards, eight about no. 18, 20 or something for, I don't remember his last year if Allen missed a game or two, but even if he played, say, 10 games, that's only 180 game pass. And so that's been six years of quarterbacks not eclipsing 1,500 yards in the air. For well, a non-option okay, so team, that's pretty thing, bad. Though. In a Craig Bowl offense, passing for 180 yards per game isn't necessarily a death sentence if you're more efficient. Well, yeah. Than Peasley was last year. You know, you mentioned, you know, the three game stretch that they had in, in non conference play at the end of September, where it looked for a second like they might have figured something out. But, you know, until he, you know, got banged up late in the year, you know, you mentioned the Boise State game. Let's not forget he missed that game and they had to turn to Jaden Clemens, the backup. But, you know, after that three game stretch, his completion rate was 52.4%. That was dead last in the Mountain West. He only averaged 5.7 yards per attempt. That was dead last in the Mountain West. And, you know, according to Pro Football Focus, you know, he had a turnover-worthy play rate of 6.4%. The only quarterback in the conference that had over 100 pass attempts with a higher percentage was Logan Bonner at Utah State. So he just flat out was not good for two-thirds of the season last year. And... 
you know, to sort of drive that point home, you know, I was sort of reviewing some things that came out earlier in the offseason about, you know, certain teams at the conference. And one of the things that Bill Connolly wrote about when he did his, um, you know, part of his Mountain West preview back in March, in focusing on Wyoming in particular, one thing that he said was like, basically, when they fell behind schedule, they were dead in the water. You know, one thing he pointed out was that among all FBS teams, the Cowboys were 118th nationally in passing downs success rate. If you want sort of a layman's way to look at that, just consider the fact that Peasley was probably the worst quarterback in the Mountain West on third downs last year. 84 attempts, 43% completion rate, one touchdown, three interceptions, and only 25 first downs on those 84 throws. That's like what, 29%? For an offense that on third downs only earned, I think it was like 34.8%. And also and also went for fewer times on fourth down than any other offense in, in the Mountain West as well. So it was one problem. All you know, most of which you know revolved around one player. That you know, if if he doesn't improve then the team is sunk. It doesn't really matter how good the running backs are, which we'll get to in a moment. It's, you know, he, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that Peasley might be the single most important player in the Mountain West this year. Interesting. He could be, because it's funny, every year we always joke in our Twitter DMs, spring football, what does Craig Bull always say about his offense? We're going to sling the ball more. We're going to pass more. Pass more. Quit lying to us, Coach Bull. You don't pass the ball more. You need to be you need to be better at passing the ball. If you pass more, we don't like you mentioned like how many you said 180 games, not a death sentence. Defense good enough. Running backs combined for I don't know, 180 or something. I'm not random numbers, but if they're for almost 350 a game total offense, 400 a game, and they have to run the ball well, but they can't be throwing the ball 30 times completing 12 or even completing 15. He always says, let's throw the ball more in spring. He always brings up to Tom Paul's like, we're gonna throw the ball more. Dude came from Iowa from the O-line coach. Even when we talked to uh Couple years ago, for the what's his name? Um, for, he covers Ole Miss now, but he's at Wyoming before. But oh, we're talking about uh, oh, Michael Katz, right? Michael Catch, yes, that's what I think. I'm double check, make it trying to think. But every spring, past couple years, Craig Bull, you we joke about it. Our buddy Jesse Tech, when he's like, we're not going to believe him until he does it, and he never does it. You don't, Coach Bull, don't need to throw the ball more. It'd be nice. I'd like it because throwing the offense is more fun. I think, but like you mentioned, be more efficient. Do what, like honestly, if they were to do a Christian Chapman like offense, efficient wise, what he did with San Diego State years ago, going 13 of 20, 12 of 18, don't turn the ball over, get a touchdown or two, at least one. That's good enough. But when they go so wildly swing the pendulum of complete 65%, complete 38%, complete 42%, it's not good. And that makes your offense not not good. But P- I think with Peasley being around for a while at two schools, full time starter, because also remember, Wyoming's had plenty of injury. Injuries past couple of years where guys get hurt and transfer mm-hmm. stuff like that. So like Sean Chambers and other players. So that's a little you got to consider that a little bit. But if they have consistency with one quarterback and he can complete like looking at the Mountain West percentage, like you did earlier, if he can be in the range of like shade, if he's a shade shave on Cordero, not that the touchdown wise, but sixty almost sixty one percent. He had twenty three T D six interceptions. Doesn't need to be that, but give me Give me Beasley was ten and nine. Give me fifteen and four. That would go a long way. His average yards attempt was f- barely five and a half yards. He's just it, it's. You're right. They need efficiency is what they need, and if the running game can bring that with better play action, 
but to help suck yeah, in I mean, the, let's, uh, let's, DBs. Let's put it this way. They had they had 12 interceptions on only 304 passing attempts last year. That, I believe, is an interception rate almost 4%. And for a ball control offense like the Cowboys, that is basically a death sentence. Yeah. It, it's not they need to they, they need to at least cut that in half if they want a chance of seriously competing for the Mountain West title this year. Jeez, even Nate Cox numbers were technically better. And he was not very good for Nevada. <laughs> yeah, like if not touchdowns weren't there, but like QB rating basically basically even. The only difference was five fewer touchdowns, and he had five four fewer picks. So like if mm-hmm. he goes ten and five, if you have four fewer interceptions, I don't know how many points that converts to, but maybe a win or two. I don't know. Like looking at their record last schedule last year, probably not another. Maybe they beat Boise State. I don't know what their interception were that time but the plus they mentioned clemens there but if those games that were close all the losses were blowouts except for one so even if they had four fewer interceptions it may not have led to many more wins maybe one and the only one you consider is boise state because it was close and maybe the ohio mm-hmm. game so like just trying to think of where they could have been better at because they were any when the games they were behind they can't come from behind to win because they don't have an efficient passing game we're going to pass the game to if they're losing to come from behind to win so that's a mm-hmm. problem too. They can't. That's part of the defense too. If they're well, it's kind of both. But and the losses again, three, three of the four losses, five losses were third. Give up thirty more points. That's not great for defense. that's supposed to be really good. I know last year's experience. This should be better, but they just need more from the passing game. It doesn't need to be astronomically better. It doesn't need to complete seventy percent of his passes and have eighteen touchdowns. But again, give me, give me Taylor Green fourteen and six. That would be perfect for a while. I mean, quarterback. I don't think you're wrong. We'll see if they can do it. So what do you got the running games? This running game is a, they bring back some players and they, it doesn't matter who's in there, whether it be Titus Swen or Javon Valade past couple of years. Swen's gone, obviously Valade also went to ASU a couple of years ago. They're always seem to be, they're fine, right? They find a guy who's good. So it's not a problem where it's uh like McNeely or DQ James, or maybe even uh Whaley, uh, Harrison Whaley from NIU coming in. But I think this is clearly the best part of the, uh, Offense, I could score points from them. This area definitely could. could tell me if I'm way to line, but like this running back is probably just behind Air. Well, we don't know about Air Force, but for experience wise, probably just behind Boise State is how efficient wise. Air Force probably eventually will be better, but names we know who played, they're top. They're in the top three, I think. In the yeah, it is, it's definitely at or near the comp, top of the conference in terms of potential among their running backs. I think one thing that sort of gets glossed over from last year's production though is is you know yeah they were they averaged just under 5 yards per carry on average but a lot of it was very hot and cold over the course of the year like there were one two three four five six seven games where and, and again this isn't adjusted for sack yardage so take that with a grain of salt seven games where they averaged fewer than 4 yards a carry last year and so some of that has to do with, you know, additional context that needs to be added. Of course, like in the bowl game against Ohio, for example, you know, they were down to like their, what, fourth string running back. Um, Something who, like that, yeah. Who also, who also transferred in the offseason. But, you know, even some of the teams that they, you know, sh- probably should have been able to run against more handily, teams like Tulsa and Northern Colorado, um, you know, those were, t- you know, even, you know, a team like New Mexico, they they averaged under four yards of carry against all three of those teams as well. And so while I do think that there's potential there, one of the big questions is, okay, 
we know what it, we know what they're capable of. But who's going to take the lead? Are they actually going to have a bell cow type guy? And if so, who's likely to be that RB1? They need it, though. Like, James and McNeely might be fine splitting time. Well, that's 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 a, that's an excellent question. Because you, you could see a scenario where it goes both ways. You know, in, in the former, you know, they could turn to someone like Harrison Whaley, who comes in through the transfer portal from Northern Illinois, having been the Huskies' leading rusher in two of the last three seasons. You know, he's the one guy who has taken on that sort of, you know, who has shouldered that sort of heavier burden, you know, for as explosive as DeWyan McNeely and DQ James, as you mentioned, have been in their career. Like McNeely has, you know, he's averaged 5.6 yards per carry in his career. Last year in his sort of first extended run, James averaged 8.7 both of which are outstanding, but between the two mm-hmm. of them, they only have 134 combined career carries and both of them did have injury concerns last year. So I, I, I do think that there is at least some degree of uncertainty about, you know, what they ultimately want the workload to look like among their running backs. And, you know, there might be other guys on the roster too, like, a, you know, like a Jeremy Hollingsworth who could step in and, and maybe have a handful of carries per game, you know, here and there as well. So they have options. It could go in any number of different ways. I think the one thing that, you know, Cowboys fans should want to pin their, you know, hopes on is the fact that as, as a team, the one thing, one of their relative strengths last year was, you know, their opportunity rate among the backfield, which is just how often their running backs were getting to the second level. 53.8% last year, which was 11th in the country. So when I said that they were explosive, there's good reason for that. And I think if nothing else, you know, even if, you know, someone like McNeely or James isn't built to be the kind of guy that takes 20 carries a game, maybe they each get eight carries a game. And, you know, yeah. have this sort of, you know, eight carries, 60 yards, and maybe a touchdown performance. I think if they get that, and Whaley is sort of the, the the nominal lead back who has maybe 12, 13, 14 carries a game, I think as long as they're averaging, you know, at least five yards a carry, it's not going to really matter to the coaching staff what the, you know, what the share of the workload looks like. Also, if you look at last year, like, like oh, we have these guys, like Swen had 207 carries. McNeely and James had 63 and 40. So, I mean, well, I mean, typically yeah. wants the past couple wants one guy to be the guy. I know it changed a little bit the year before when um, Valde and Swen, when Swen kind of took over a little bit. So, we don't know if McNeely or James could handle We know the NIU transfer, maybe he, he, like, he could come in and do that, be the main guy, but he may not be the RB1 right away. Like, they have options. And what Craig Bull and Tom Polsek have done the past couple years, we know they want the one guy because Swen had 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns. And yeah, and also I, don't the forget one pe- exception to that, which makes me think they could go in the other direction, is during the COVID year 2020, That's where terrible. you know it was very run heavy between Valaday and Trey Smith. You know, both guys averaged roughly 15 to 20 carries per game. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, it's an anomaly, and that year is weird. But yeah, but I'm not saying they can't do it. So they've done it on some level clearly. Also, Peasley runs a little bit, not a ton, but had 337 yards last year, a couple of TDs. Mm-hmm. So. That could bleed into more like just like RPO type stuff, but I think they have the three three guys there plus Peasley who will do a little bit hit eighty carries. Maybe he'll have a few less if they with going them going three deep. If I had to guess, 
I don't know who'd be the main guy because McNeely and James were basically the same dude last year. James was a little more was more explosive at eight point six yards per carry, but maybe I, I think they'll be fine. Regardless, they'll be fine. The offensive line loses a couple guys to bring back a couple key players there, but I think their depth and what we've seen from Craig Bull and Wyoming the past couple years, they'll be fine at running game. They'll have one of the best running backs in the conference, assuming one is basically gets about 180 carries. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's too far-fetched to say they're like, I mean, it's a running attack top three in the conference, unless I'm trying to off the top of my head, like Fres- Fresno, will see new guys, San Jose state, Kerry Robertson don't trust as much. Utah state. No air force. Yes. Boise. Yes. San Jose state always TBD the past three years, Nevada. No New Mexico with their new offense. We'll see, but yeah, they're going to be Hawaii. Yeah, I don't know. But they'll be top three at worst. Like, there's no reason for them to contend for one of the best running attacks. Probably, yeah, somewhere behind within Boise yeah, Air Force. I think I would three clearly the best. So, so what about the offensive line? Because they lose a couple guys, but they they, they return like Frank Crum. He's pretty good. I've heard right. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's a he's an all first team guy caliber type of player. Yeah, yeah. They return the center Nofofali Tulafono. If that's correct, if I'm saying him. So Nofofia. Yeah. yeah. No, Oh, maybe maybe I wrote it down wrong here. <laughs> Apologies, but they are they're two key offensive linemen, and but the backups should they bring in newish players? So like Jack Walsh didn't play last year. Like Caden Barnett played, I think he had one start and played the whole season, so he had experience. But they're not bringing back like you mentioned how the experience they are. This is the area where it's not quite there. Like West King played one game. They don't. I think that's I think that's starting at five. If I'm correct there, but two key players. One guy who played a lot last year, at least saw time in action in games of Barnett. So I'm not too uncomfortable saying this will be a big position, but there's still some concern when you bring in three new starters. Yeah. I mean, they, they, one thing that they benefited from last year is they had a great deal of, of uh, stability along the offensive line. Like, you know, Barnett started one game, Walsh started a couple in, in place of Emmanuel Pregdon. But then, you know, three other guys started every single game last season and so with the turnover you know it's, it's sort of a a big ask that they're going to be able to replace it seamlessly you know all, all you know eric abajai um, you know gone to graduation pregnant transferred to usc zach watts graduated and so there's going to be a lot of pressure on younger guys to step up especially since you know as a group this they set a pretty high bar last year for how effective they were. Like I mentioned the opportunity rate a few minutes ago, but they were also well above average nationally in terms of line yards per carry on average, 28th overall in the country. And they also had a stuff rate that ranked 41st overall, 16%. So they were pretty good about keeping opponents out of the backfield in general. I do think Barnett is someone worth keeping an eye on though, even though he only played in 120 snaps last year, because if you look at like overall grades from PFF, he was actually one of the better contributors on the entire offense last year, despite the small sample size. So like in the same way, I think we, we talk, I think most prominently about someone like Ike Larson, for example, at Utah state, who was a, who was a very strong performer in a, in a relatively small sample of snaps. You know, Barnett is another one of those athletes where, you know, if he is going to be stepping into, you know, maybe that right tackle position that crumb is going to be vacating in order to protect the blind side, you know, if if he can you know step up and be that sort of next man up, a, a very effective player that you know, you know the, the best thing you can say about an offensive lineman is like if you don't hear their name, it means you know that they're probably doing a good job. 
given Wyoming's overall track record of being able to replace pretty good guys with other pretty good guys, even if we're less familiar with someone like Barnett or Walsh or King, I think that you at this point, you know, despite other questions elsewhere on offense, that they have probably earned the benefit of the doubt as far as their ability to replace, you know, departed veterans. Yeah, I, it's another area I trust them to be fine. You know what I mean? Like there's, mm-hmm. they should be okay. And they think of the experience they have running back, the quarterback, a couple linemen, and the trust what we have. Because Paul Sack, remember, he's an online coach at Iowa coming over, so he has his hand in the offensive line a bit, not as much because he's overseeing everything. But I don't see. It might take a little drop off, but I think there's no reason to expect them to be nothing above, at least above average. Like if they're average, that's a problem, but I don't think that's a good. I think they'll be one of the traditionally and what we see this year, what they have returning, they'll be one of the offensive line units. They'll be top third of the conference, which mm-hmm. has us leading some winning a lot of games. So we'll see. Because wide receiver group, oh man, this goes hand to hand with the quarterback play, right? Yeah. And and I'm I'm glad that you said that because if it sounded like we were giving Peasley a lot of grief. I think it's important to remember you have to spare at least a little bit for the way that these pass catchers played, generally speaking, as a group last year. And the reason I say that is because, you know, pro football focus has noted that, you know, at least eight different Cowboys had more than 10 targets last year. Five of those players had a drop rate above 10%. Oh, man. So, like, if you're looking at, you know, Peasley and, and sort of, you know, one of the one of the angles or one of the areas in which he struggled last year that wasn't entirely his fault, you know, you look at the fact that he dealt with a drop rate of, of 9.4%, which was fifth among Mountain West quarterbacks last year with over 100 pass attempts. So, I would say, as a group, you know, you can't really single one guy out. You know, that that homegrown group of you know guys like Wyatt Wyland, Alex Brown, Will Pelissier, Ryan Marquez, who whoever else the Cowboys choose to throw out there on any given Saturday, which they actually did a lot of last year. That you know, they did yeah. have a lot of shuffling as far as like who was starting from week to week, where Wyland started a few games. Alex Brown, Alex Brown started nine games last year, and he had nine receptions. Okay. Not great. Which is it, it's you know, what what was going on there? I didn't, I didn't really get a chance to to go or excuse me, I take that back. He had six receptions in nine starts. A touchdown, that's a good like, percentage rate. <laughs> like six. that that group simply has to be better. It doesn't help. Especially Josh since Cobbs they're also Houston. especially since they're also replacing their number one receiver, Joshua Cobbs. Yeah, going to transfer. Yeah. And and I do think that there is there is definitely going to be plenty of opportunity for a pair of new transfers to be able to step up and take on a role like Devin Body who mm-hmm. you know didn't really see a lot of playing time at Vanderbilt last year but caught 29 passes for for 263 yards and a score back in 2021 you know maybe he finds a way to operate out of the slot if Wyoming chooses to go three wide but i think the more interesting name is a guy like Ayer Asante who comes from uh, FCS Holy Cross which may not sound like much but Holy Cross was a playoff team last year and for his career he you know had 117 receptions, 1700 yards, 16 touchdowns. You know, that's exactly the kind of field stretching threat that Wyoming really needs in especially if they want to be able to set up play action with the running game and things like that. Like you know, that's almost 15 yards a catch. It's 14.7. Like if he can step in, carve out a role, 
they don't necessarily need him to do all that much. Like if, if he is there, let's say if he's there, Jesse Matthews, Great. we've seen what that can do for a team like San Diego state, which is very similar. And in recent years has generally had more success than the Cowboys have. They also have, have you mentioned their tight ends all uh, yet, Matt? They got some pretty good tight ends. Green Welch is pretty good. I will give them that. Five touchdowns, 22 catches. He, the tight ends are pretty good in the Mountain West Conference, so he has a competition to be like a second team or be up there because Colorado State, San Diego State have some good tight ends, possibly uh, Boise State as well, that mix. And some random Air Force tight end might have like 12 catches for 400 or something, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Some random guy goes like 20 yards a catch. So, it's all again, it's all mixing in guys. You have a couple of returning guys like Welch, a few other, but it all comes down to like I said, being efficient. Don't drop the ball. So it's not all on Andrew Peasley to why he completed sometimes 39% random number made up, but under 50, under 60, you just got to catch the ball. It's like you, you're a division one scholarship FBS athlete playing a, a skill set called wide receiver. You should have some pretty good hands to catch these balls. The wind isn't yeah. that crazy in Laramie all the time. It can be, but one of the quick thing too, real quick. Running backs play a reasonable sort of role on the in the receiving game. Like Titus one had 14 catches. Uh, DQ James had five. So they throw a little mm-hmm. bit. They probably, what, two passes a game in the backfield, whether they're dump offs or designed, um, mm-hmm. bailout passes. But that's something where could mix up a little bit to help things out. Maybe they throw those guys in a little bit more. But they don't need, like you mentioned, again, this, well, I mean, San Diego State very similar. You mentioned Jesse Matthews. What they want to do, play great defense, run the ball well, have an average quarterback. But one thing Wyoming didn't have the San Diego State typically had guys catch the ball really good who catch the ball. They don't have because just because Jesse Matthews caught a his total pure numbers weren't high level for yardage and catches. He was efficient and scored touchdowns. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what Trayton Welch was last year for at the tight end spot. They don't have that guy like dropping. You know, if you're starting, who'd you mention who had what Alex Brown six catches and started nine games? Like you should be if you're a starter. I even if you're the number three wide receiver and you start, you're probably on. What, what would you say, 75% of the plays in offense? For a while, I mean, you might go two backs, to somewhere in that range, because they'll probably play two tight ends occasionally. You're you're in a well above half the plays. You should be ta- you should be catching, getting 20 catches a year as a number three receiver shouldn't be out of the question. Is that too high? Am I making too many things here? Too so much, to, to add a little bit of context to your inquiry, you know, and, and again, this is from Pro, Pro Football Focus. Yeah, he was credited as you know, being on you know pass snaps 119 altogether. That was actually sixth okay. among Wyoming players. Gotcha. It was roughly half of what you know Wyatt Wyatt Wyland and Trayton Welch were seeing. Okay. But still, I think 10, you should be eh, maybe, I don't know what percentage is good or not for snaps to be receiving the ball, but mm-hmm. maybe we're making too much of it, just trying to think, hey, everybody should be better. Everybody should be awesome. You know what I mean? But I think yeah. in general, big picture, yeah, don't drop the ball. Help your quarterback out. And they need a guy who can get 40 catches. Like Josh Cobb's 35 for 407. That's fine. And we know what the offense is. It's not going to be something amazing slinging the ball around. But like, give me 2,000 passing yards. Is that too much to ask for? I don't think so. Because that would be 12 games. That's what? Like, that's about your 180 mark, right? Somewhere in that range? Yeah. It's two two hundred games about two is twenty four hundred, so yeah. So give me between one eighty about one eighty would be fine as long as the running game goes well. So, are we ready for defense? The best part of the field for them. Let's do it. The best part of the field. The Wyoming Cowboys defense have our 
Were you surprised Easton Gibbs is our player of the year? A little bit. But I think what was most surprising was not that he won it, not that he won the preseason honor, but how convincingly he won it. Who did you vote for? Do you remember? Uh, I voted for Cam Lockridge, Fresno State cornerback. Of course you did, Homer. No kidding. (laughs) He's really good. (laughs) However, Cam Lockridge is not on the official Mountain West ballot for some reason, which is weird, right? So check out that. Matt posted that today as well if you want to see his official Official, official ballot he sent to the league that they allowed us to vote for, to, for some reason. They let us hooligans in there to do some things. <laughs> but let's go to the defensive line. Like our, like I'm looking at our our um, all conference. We had Jordan, I guess butcher's name, Ortogonally, defense yeah, sack. I Muhammad, or sorry, that's close to you guys. Cole Gold, Goldblatt, or Godblatt, excuse me. Well, I mean, no, no shocker. Devon Harris, three of the four front. <laughs> down lineman, and then we have Easton Gibbs in there. Five, basically half of the defense was won from our first teams from our staff first team, which I don't think that's far. I I legit think, and most people do, they're going to have the best defense in the conference. They've got a lot and of up, talent in that front seven. Let me tell you, they, yeah, like because I was reading. That I guess it would be more Steel accurate Steel. to call it a front six. Yeah, yeah, true. That's what they went, like to run. But I was looking at Phil Still. Just he always puts a historical context, like years past. Mm-hmm. That's why one podcast ago, I'm like, this guy was JUCO guy, small print, size font size six, 2020 transfer or something. But they had brought back in like Easton Games last year wasn't a starter coming in because he wasn't obviously wasn't a starter. They lost all the linebacker group last year, and then they get the playing time, they get the experience, and we always mention like, oh, just because you play doesn't mean you're good. Well, they're good last year, and they were new. So imagine them getting that year full experience of being the starting guys out your position and still, and being good, they being that much better with the off season. So like this, this front, whatever you want to call it, we can combine them all together is going to be a challenge for any team in the mountain West. There's like, there's not much better than them, what they can do. It just, it all comes back to the offense doing well, but if this defense can hold teams to, I don't know, basically look at last, let me go let me back up real quick. Remember how I mentioned all those losses, all these big point games. They give up 38 to Illinois. They beat Tulsa, give up 37, 38 to mm-hmm. BYU, 33 San Jose State. A lot of games, 22 of Hawaii, 22 of Hawaii, 20 points is fine, but too many 30 plus point games. If they can cut that down a couple with this defense, the offense needs to help them out. But if they can lower that a little bit here and there and not give up big plays and a lot of points, just a handful of teams, they're going to contend for the conference. I don't know if they will, but that's. This is the area where we know that they can make things happen. Like when they open up with Texas Tech, we'll get that in a minute. That's not a walk. Texas, Texas Tech coming to Joy McGuire, that's not going to be an easy game for them to play for Texas Tech. This defense just needs to just – I I should have a little more research look into it, like how the points are given up. It's a team effort, clearly. But lower that down, and they're going to be maybe upset or two teams that they we people on the surface may not think they're, they'd win against. And the front six, front so, seven, whatever we call it, it's going to attack and get to the quarterback a lot. And okay, and and I'm glad you mentioned attacking the quarterback because you mentioned they were extremely young last year. But yeah. you know, taking down QBs was like the single best thing that they did last year, especially on standard downs. You know, which is sort of like your first and ten, second and sevens, whatever, right? So in every situation, Wyoming had a sack rate of 7.7%. That was 31st in the FBS ranks. Standard downs, they were 11th, 7.8. So like they were getting after the quarterback no matter what. The problem that Wyoming ran into last year 
is they got bullied far too often when it came to defending the run. Yeah. And you really don't have to look any further than like the dichotomy between that sack rate and their stuff rate, which you would think would be higher than 13.6%. That was 119th in the country. Yikes. And then in terms of like their power success rate, for example, so like short yarded situations for a first down or a touchdown, 82.1% power success rate allowed. That was 127th in the country. And again, if you're looking for a simpler explainer, just consider the fact that in the seven games that they won last year, I'm sorry, I'm trying to, I have the wrong tab over, excuse me. Seven wins, right? Mm-hmm. 3.4 yards per carry allowed and five touchdowns. In the six games that they lost, 5.2 yards per carry allowed and 12 touchdowns given up. And granted, I think a lot of that will come down to just having a year of experience under their belt. But you know that's definitely one arena where they're going to have to get better one way or another. And I do think that there is plenty of upside, though, even despite the fact that they lost Olawaseyu Omotosho to Oregon State through the transfer yeah, imagine if he was, because if he, yeah, imagine if he was there. He's amazing. <laughs> yeah, because you know Cole Godbout's back. You mentioned Bergnall. He's back. Devon Harris and Braden Siders already look like the best pair of edge rushers in the conference, and they're both sophomores. And you know, we we didn't even mention like Gavin Meyer and Caleb Robinson. Both of whom got a lot of reps when when God Godbout was banged up on the interior last year, and on top of that, this defensive line also gets back Sebastian Harsh and Keelan Cox from season-ending injuries that wiped out their 2022. So, like, how many men, how many names did I mention right there? Like eight, seven, yeah, seven or eight. <laughs> like, if it all comes together. You know, we, we talked a couple of podcasts ago about how good San Jose State's defensive line was overall. If it all comes together for Wyoming, you know, they could have, they could have multiple defensive player of the year candidates up front. Yeah, and looking, one more thing about, I was looking at CFB stats, organizing by situational. Mm-hmm. Looking at where they struggled a bit, because they're bottom half of the conference, middle of the pack at best. Looking at second half, not third or fourth quarter, they stumbled a lot. They were give like, I don't know what it was a halftime adjustment thing, but first half, about three and a half yards, just over 3.6 yards given up. Second half, about five yards, almost five yards of carry given up in third and fourth quarter. First down, almost five yards of play given up. So they were not good in early downs or the second half, which is a bad combination <laughs> if you're in close mm-hmm. games where you're you're gassed down or they make adjustments and they're getting nearly a first down every time. They, they team scored 11 touchdowns on the first down running the attempt against San Diego State. It's not great. Mm-hmm. So that could be first and goal at the one, but just first down. But like I just noticed they were trying to see some trends and they were not great second half and first down was awful. So there's that to consider to figure out um, – defenses or what they do defensively yeah. but they will have multiple guys like if they had the train where do you go where did he go to oregon state is that right yes and like if they had him like holy crap the defense they'd be on the first team as well they would have they'd take over a whole defensive front six or front seven <laughs> just about mm-hmm. they're that good in this area it's like man they, if their freaking offense can get it together that's like the only thing i'm concerned about but what about the secondary what do we have concerns with them because that might be the one spot where if we want to say, is there any concern? Because they did lose, uh, was it Cam Stone to Hawaii? They bring back most mm-hmm. of the rest of them. So it's like, that's not really a concern, is it? 
it's just like losing your best player. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Corey Hawkins pretty is pretty convinced. good, though. Yeah, I mean, there's, I think you could make a pretty convincing case that there's, you know, potential yellow flag here, or they alternatively that they might be just fine. And I think, you know, if you're, if you're taking the more pessimistic view, you know, one thing that you would look at from last year is that, you know, despite, you know, racking up 45 pass breakups, which was fourth in the Mountain West, they ended up with only six interceptions, which was the fewest. But, you know, that, that kind of disparity typically means that, you know, they could be pegged for some positive regression in that regard. So, you know, if you're looking for, you know, a potential hinge for this team's fortunes, I do think that it really comes down to how well the secondary is going to perform. They did get better in conference play last year, where, you know, they only allowed seven passing touchdowns against four interceptions in conference play and ranked right around the middle of the pack in terms of like, you know, opponent's completion percentage and, and things along those lines, only allowing 6.3 yards per attempt. That was pretty yeah. solid. And so I do think that when you look at this particular unit, that you know, on paper, it may not be immediately apparent that there's like an all-conference caliber type guy here. But I think you can make a pretty persuasive case that there aren't a lot of weak links either. Yeah, like Even I mentioned, despite we, losing like, Cam Stone, like you know Wyatt Eckler and, and Isaac White make for a, a solid, at minimum, safety tandem. And I just, you know, between the, between veterans like uh, like Hawkins and, and Darren Harrell at cornerback versus you know your relative newcomers like Tyrese Davis who got a lot of helium in spring uh, spring practices, you know a, a newcomer in Laramie came over from Navarro City College where he had two interceptions and eight pass breakups last year. You know, there's a lot of people, you know, in Wyoming that seem to like what he has to bring to the table. He could win a starting job and surprise. He's another one of those Juco guys that I have my eye on going into the fall. You know, if he, if he wins a role, you know, Colby Taylor also had a very strong spring as, uh, you know, he's heading into his sophomore year. He could surprise. So they have some options there. And, and I do think that they're they're definitely going to need to find ways to improve, if only because they are going to be going up to get some quality passing games this year. Yeah, they do. So that's, uh, we'll get the schedule momentarily. But that's it's one area where I'm like, I'm not overly concerned. I'm like, yeah, there could be a little bit losing a key player that did. But like the defense overall, like they're should we just lock them in as almost defense number one overall? It's close to it. They're very close to it if they aren't it. I mean, and we, and we didn't really mention the linebackers either. Like we mentioned Gibbs at the, at the very top. That's all we need. That's all we need. That's it. Move on. We're not kidding. <laughs> but I do think it. I do think it begs the question of like, what do we think Gibbs's ceiling ultimately looks like? Where the year? That's hard to say. I think if you if you're looking for a way for him to sort of. Com- to compare to like the the other great Wyoming linebackers that have graduated through the program in recent years, I think one thing that I that I sort of caught my attention when I was you know doing research for this particular podcast, you know, sort of comes back down to one of the things I mentioned earlier about how you know Wyoming as a team de- you know struggled to defend the run. You know, another thing that Bill Connolly mentioned is that on defense as a whole. The Cowboys were actually 125th overall in tackle success rate, which makes me think 
that they missed a lot more tackles than they probably should have. And so I went and I looked because I was curious about sort of how his missed tackle percentage compares to you know other Wyoming linebackers from, from recent vintage. So like, for example, last year, Gibbs had a missed tackle percentage of 13.5%, which is you know not bad. At least I think it's not bad. It was definitely one of the lower averages anywhere on this defense. But if you compare it to someone like, let's say, Logan Wilson, you know, Logan Wilson's first year with the Cowboys, 2016, he had a missed tackle percentage of 13.4%. But then in the three subsequent seasons, 10.5, So I think if you're looking for him to take that last big step from being a very good player, which I think he, he is very firmly in that territory, being one of the all you know overall best defenders anywhere in the conference that's what it's going to come down to it's just going to come down to you know more polished fundamentals and to sort of take that comparison if you compare him to chad muma i think that difference is even more stark you know, for his career muma only had a missed attack percentage of eight percent and that was on roughly 1500 snaps so i do think he has it within him to take that last final step but you know he's he's not the only one that's going to have to take it either. You know Shea Suiaunoa, who spent last year as his primary running mate. Um, you know Suiaunoa had a missed tackle rate of twenty four percent, twenty three point nine. You know despite the fact that he was you know seventy three tackles, four point five tackles for loss, two and a half sacks, one interception. So like he, they were both capable of doing quite a bit from sideline to sideline. But I think if Wyoming is going to reach that next level. You know, that linebacker group just, you know, finishing plays more consistently is going to be another one of those little things that is going to pay huge dividends and could put them over the top. Uh, yeah, that's well said. All right. What do we got? What do we got for special teams here? Because it's always I would make say or break. That special teams probably going to be a strength for them. If it, yeah, it's, I think John Hoyland's pretty good kicking the ball, right? He made our second team, I believe. Yeah. My, yeah. Yeah, as of right now, currently owns an 84.6% career field goal success rate. That's not bad. Clayton Stewart in his first year of action, also not bad. 43.8 yards per punt, a net of 37.6, which is, you know, that's that's fine. But I do think if you're looking for anything, especially since, you know, you know Craig Bull's offense and defense wants to be, they, they want to thrive on field position in the same way that like a San Diego State does, I think if Stewart can improve his net in particular, that will also be a point in in Wyoming's favor as far as their their hopes of competing for a championship this year. Yeah, I think they might be in the mix. I think there's a possibility, right? Yeah. All right, we schedule time. Is that where we're headed here? Let's let's do it. They open up week. Wait, is this week one or week zero? Week one game. It's week one. Week zero and a half. I don't know where we're going here with all these games starting to win. They host a Big 12 team. Texas Tech, Red Raiders are coming to town. Joey McGuire, head coach, coming to uh, Laramie, which is the, uh, should we call, look, okay, this might be cheesy or lame, but Laramie is the winter home for Lubbock, and Lubbock's the summer home for Laramie because they're basically in the middle hmm. of nowhere. One's cold, one's warm. I don't know if that's yeah, cheesy but at least or what. At least, at least one has like Yellowstone in, in, in the backyard. Oh yeah, there's the view much better. I had a guy, quick story, quick. I was in 
Where is that? Went over to Nevada. Went there to go gamble and do some random stuff. And this guy was from I'm basically from Salt Lake City. So we we're just doing playing roulette or something. Or just chatting about. He's like, yeah, I'm from Salt Lake. There's nothing to do. Like he just wants something to do. And it's old cliche. Oh, there's nothing to do in Utah. Salt Lake is boring. It's like there's there's plenty of stuff to do. If you want to find, you can find something you want to do. Like most places, right, Matt? Mm-hmm. And I find out I can tell us actually like I'm from Lubbock. I'm like, you're telling me Lubbock, freaking Texas has a million more things you're interested maybe their his interests are different but i'm like you're telling me you go to a city that's what million plus people you can't find nothing to do and you complain you live in freaking lubbock texas like live on mars like there's nothing like i don't know what you do in lubbock but i'm just saying there's like going to win or whatever it's like a two-hour drive so people can go screw around and gamble do just have fun something different but it's just funny sad you're like like, so where are you from i'm from lubbock i'm like wait you're lubbock and you think there's nothing to do and it's like two months ago and like skiing was done, but there's a million things you can do more in Salt Lake City and Lubbock. And most most countries that have a top 30 city area than Lubbock, Texas, even more so. I can get big deeper, right? Like you're in freaking Lubbock, Texas, dude. <laughs> Whatever. It was just it's just a funny thing. Lubbock is literally middle of nowhere. It's hard to get there. It's difficult, but it's just funny. It's like any city compared to Lubbock that's a decent size, like Probably El Paso could find more fun things to do in Lubbock, Texas. Just saying. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, one, one it, of my best friends is El Paso. I can confirm that. Yeah. There's stuff to do. I just, it's just funny. It's like, it's, it's a small college town in the middle of nowhere. And it's what it, this guy wasn't like 24, 25. He was probably maybe, maybe 40 or somewhere there. It's just kind of funny, but whatever. Um, but this game is at War Memorial Stadium, CBS game as well. Do you want to guess what the line is right now, sitting here in the middle of July? Uh, I'm going to wager it's probably like Texas Tech plus, uh, minus 13. Oh, you almost nailed 13 and a half. Good job there. Ooh, okay. All right. This is getting, it, a, little, getting first, a little better at this. You are. It's not the FBI games. That's way different. That's tricky and weird. But I would say, like, I'll say right now, before we get to the game, I would not be, this would not be a monumental upset if one were to win this game. It would See, be. I don't know because monumental? Texas Tech is definitely, in, it's ranked. definitely an interesting team. You know, the Red Raiders you know, coming off the Matt Wells era, which it wasn't bad. Know, they were winning with him above 500. They, and they, they were bad, but I, it's, I get the sense from the outside looking in that there was like this big sense of disappointment that things weren't moving as fast as they felt like it should have. Mm. No, it's because he wasn't but, from I mean, Texas. That's why that was the real reason he was. But, like, <laughs> could be. I'm yeah. serious. Not, but, not kidding. <laughs> but, it, you know, one of the big questions I think coming into this year is like, you know, they had a very successful year in 2022. They beat Oklahoma and Texas in the same year for the first time. But at the same time, there were 4-0 in one-score games, which makes you think that maybe they got a little bit lucky here and there. Yeah. Are they ready for prime time? They did the get 12? four first-place votes and finished fourth in the Big 12 media poll. So they're considered a contender for that conference. Yeah. And they do have they do have one of the more experienced offenses anywhere in the country, at least in terms of like returning production coming back. But they also have they're going to have a quarterback competition on their hands between Tyler Shaw and Baron Morton, you know, both of whom started games last year because of uh, injury concerns. Shaw, I believe, missed like half the season with a collarbone injury. But, you know, he's back and they've got some pretty good weapons around him. Like, you know, their leading running back, Todd Brooks, is back. You know, Durand Bradley was one of the top freshman receivers anywhere in the country last year. He's back as well as, you know, four other receivers who had at least 30 receptions for them last year. And, oh, by the way, going back to what you said um, a little while ago, also have one of the more experienced offensive lines anywhere in the conference or anywhere in the country. Excuse me. 
I think the big question is how things are ultimately going to shake out on defense. Where yeah. the Red Raiders, they did get some some familiar names uh, from the Mountain West into the mix. Like they brought in Braylon Lux from Fresno State. They brought in CJ Baskerville from San Diego State. And, you know, those two guys could very easily help reinforce, you know, stars like, you know, Blake Dunlap, who was, a, you know, a quality player for them last year. You know, safety, Dadrian Taylor Demerson was very good for them last year. Yeah, but this is still a defense that gave up almost eight yards per attempt last year, gave up 23 passing touchdowns. I just don't know if it's a particularly good matchup for these particular Cowboys because the Red Raiders also have a lot of talent up front. Like they've got a very strong defensive tackle duo, you know, Jalen Hutchings and Tony Bradford, both of whom could frustrate the Wyoming running game. Yeah, I, I... They definitely can. They could possibly do that. But they also have a. Uh, did you mention Jalen Hutchins? He was first team All Big Twelve yes. preseason. Yes, I did. So okay, okay, yeah. He's he's. I was looking at the list. He's going through like who is All Conference. They had two receiver Jared Bentley, Jared Bentley, and him and Hutchins. So I think that'll be key. But also, if Wyoming thinks what we think, can go three deep, three and a quarter. If you include Peasley there, running the ball, that would give options. So that could be a thing too. But also to go back defensively. Texas Tech four or five wide. Joey McGuire's want to throw the ball a lot, what they've always done. How quickly can Gibbs and others on the front get to the quarterback? Because that was their key mm-hmm. thing last year. Like if Texas Tech wants to get rid of the ball quickly, they're always in shotgun, always going four or five deep, which means you got to take away one of your front front six. What we mentioned, one of the, one or two of those guys are off the field. You have to go deeper to your secondary to guard four to five wide receivers, three to five wide receivers, usually four every single play. So they're going to take away one of the better players off the field. On the, on the front six, front seven. And they get rid of the ball quickly, so how much can they get to the quarterback? That's going to be key as well. Because defensively, I think Wyoming, I mean, for Texas Tech, or Wyoming offense versus that Tech defense, yeah, running the ball might be hard. Passing ball is already hard for Wyoming. It's just a game where, they obviously, it's a dust tape, but you got to run, run your defense to slow down and make turnovers against the Texas Tech team. They can't get in a game mm-hmm. where it's 20 to, 20 to 10 at halftime, they're down. That... 10-point lead might be insurmountable for Wyoming. As I mentioned with their second half, I know it's rushing, but Tech will run the ball a little bit, but they just can't give up all those points. Hold field goals, but I, I they just got to move the ball and hold the ball a little bit. They got to help their defense out because you, you've seen Hawaii when Rolovich was there doing run and shoot. Defense literally got two of a rest because they go three and outs. I think it wasn't when they played Navy that happened where it was like a quick three and outs. Navy does their typical eight play, ten play drive, scores mm-hmm. points. Why gets the ball three and out again? So defense literally had like minimal breaks for thirty plus plays. They they defense on the field for thirty plays, offense on the field for like six plays or something in that range, something ridiculous where there was literally no rest for them. That could be a scenario here where just that how quickly Texas Tech moves the ball offense. Not not that same as Navy, but the defense got a whole. Offense got to give defense a break, essentially. I'm getting and yeah, maybe, but maybe they'll try to slow it down a bit. But over under is like 50 some points, which it was a 58, I think. If I'm looking at it here, the projected score is 33 to 20, which if they hold 33 points, that's not bad. But I'm also surprised that one we could score 20 points, maybe sometimes. So there's that too to consider. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think it'll be. Sort of close. I'm picking Texas Tech to win, but it wouldn't be like the world all world ups if they were to go in and win 28-24 or something or 24-17. I don't think – I think that's on the table from the possible win the game. I just don't think they can do it. I just think the offense could keep pace. If Tech gets to 30, 
30, 30 points is probably game over. And I think that's likely to be the case, which is why I don't think Wyoming's going to win this game. Yeah. All right, next game, what do we got here? Portland State, are you ready for an FCS minute? It's a win, but go for it. Take it away for the pilots. So so the Vikings, or the Vicks for short, which I think is always interesting that it's, it's not it's not bikes like it is for Minnesota, it's Vicks. Um, they want throw they want throw Brandon man stand out. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you know they had a very strong offense last year that was mostly undermined by a pretty shaky defense. You know I think if memory serves they were something like you know a hundred and hundred and something. I'm trying to remember the exact number. I'm trying to look it up on the fly. I apologize, but suffice it to say, you know losing season not particularly successful. And, you know, they also have to replace a handful of their most impact players from last season. You know, their star safety, Anthony Adams, is gone. Their leading wide receiver, Bo Kelly, is gone, as is their second wide receiver, Matayo Talalamotu. And it's it's sort of a situation we're heading into 2023. It's not altogether clear whether the defense is going to be prepared to take a step forward, even if the offense looks like it could still be pretty good for the FCS level, like the quarterback, Dante Shashiri, um, you know, he had, you know, nearly 2000 yards passing last year and over 600 yards on the ground, you know, com- combining for 26 total touchdowns. So he's pretty, pretty solid. Um, and they did bring in some familiar faces to try to keep the offense on track. Like they brought in Jermaine Braddock, wide receiver from San Jose state. They brought in a couple of offensive linemen, Dallas holiday, and Pedro Timoteo from Boise and Fresno in particular, and while getting their one of their promising linebackers back from injury, Parker McKenna is, is definitely going to make a difference for them. Again, we're talking about FCS minute. This is a game that Wyoming should win pretty handily. Then they go down to Texas. Is this part of the two for one series a couple of years ago they had when Longhorn somehow it's, came to Laramie? It might be. It's on Longhorn Network. Are we, so... are we ready for another round of Texas is back? Uh all I could say is maybe. <laughs> That's all it is. They, it's like they, are the, they are the preseason Big 12 favorites. They did play well, and Quinn Ewers was around last year. They had a close game versus Alabama. Didn't win the conference. They were 2-5 and five in games decided by one score. See, that could swing a lot for either way. If that's last year, this year, not that it's not quantitative. You're definitely going to flip that or something, but it just shows a couple of these are close games, close competition, couldn't pull it out the end. That's kind of what that says to me, but they're they're mm-hmm. clearly they lose Bijan Robinson, which is huge. He was one of the best running backs in the country last year. Quinn Ewers is a really good quarterback. He's starting over um, Archmany and the other guy. I forget his, uh, whatever face. He's a the other quarterback that's probably better than Archmany at the moment, which I can remember his name. But it's not because I only care about starters because we're not going to see a backup quarterback in this game versus Texas unless it's uh, late in the game. So we'll see. Um, Texas might be back. Like they're good. They have talent there. It's just Steve for season. Sark, Sark is the best coach I had in a couple of years in a while. Yeah. They and- are a huge underdog by, I was not even listed here. I bet it's at least 25 points probably. But yeah. And to your here. point, you know, it is worth noting that they, by, by net points per drive, they were actually 12th in the country last year, wedged right between Oregon and Utah, both of which had pretty good seasons themselves. Yeah. Uh, and they're 26th in terms of net available yards per drive. So they were definitely a very good team last year. Eight five, yeah. I think one thing that one thing that they're going to want to keep an eye out for, which Wyoming might be able to exploit in this game, is whether or not 
you know, they can push Texas around up front because, you know, the Longhorns last year only had a sack rate of 4.6%, 113th in the country, and only had a stock rate of 15.1%, which was 102nd. So I think if there's any chance for the Cowboys to survive in this game, it's going to be by establishing that ground game, which, you know, won't be easy because, you know, they do have a very talented linebacker, Jalen Ford, who might be one of the best in the country. They have a lot of talent returning up front from a year ago. I mean, on the road, though, I just don't see it. I don't think Wyoming's going to win this game. I don't think either. Um, I do one thing that could benefit them. This is game of sandwich between at Alabama and at Baylor. So you never know because we saw in just toughness-wise with Quinn going out in the Bama game last year. There could be a little something where they're banged up a touch. But I still – oh, but what we'll know by the time to play. Who's Longhorns are born? RB1, which we'll probably know. Um, who it's who it's going to be receiving bring back one of the best receivers around, so they'll have a good good uh, targets to throw to and Xavier Worthy out there had sixty catches last year. It'll be a loss, but I I, I still keep it interesting because Texas has stumbled like they lost to BYU at home years ago. They lose to random teams here and there. I I think defense will keep it going. Plus Texas will probably be a top ten team, but even if they lose to Alabama, whatever they'll be a top ten team regardless by the by week three. So. It'll be tough, but I think they could keep it scoring wise. At least I think the first half will be very interesting. After that, it'll be kind of eh, not, not so much. I'll get I'll pull away and it'll be done with a Longhorn victory quite easily. I have my doubts. I think I think Texas is probably gonna win this one on a walk. Oh, I know. I, I I do too. But I think it might be what's that forty to forty to thirteen, but it's twenty to ten at halftime. I don't think it's gonna be twenty to ten at halftime. Is what I'm saying. Okay, I hear he's okay. I, I think we'll only keep it hanging around for a little bit. So maybe I'm too optimistic, but that's okay. It'll be a three touchdown victory. But I just wondering when will those three touchdowns happen? Like the difference will be mm-hmm. third quarter, fourth quarter, whatever. But I think I think the defense can make frustrate them a little bit here and there. Maybe a couple of field goals are on. That's why I'm maybe first half could be quasi interesting. Next game. Man, this is tough. After eight at home. Are they gonna beat the um oh my gosh, what's their name? Um <laughs> Wait, they're the Mountaineers, just like West Virginia. Yeah, the Nears. Oh, I, I, okay, I stay. I'm like, wait, that can't be right. It's not West Virginia. And I was like, I, oh man, I am rusty on this part. I'm like, it's not West Virginia Mountaineers. Okay, that's correct. I apologize to second guessing myself. I had it the first time. There's 133 mascots, man. I can't know them all. <laughs> but <laughs> this non-conference schedule is tough. Texas Tech, Texas, App State, App State. That game did they beat? Wasn't that the game was North Carolina game last year, where it was like crazy? That second half, or is that when they played Texas? Yeah, 63 to 61. Yeah, that didn't happen in this game. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, and then and then they had that that game winning Hail Mary against Troy two weeks later. They were America's team in September last year. And it ultimately ended up having a vaguely disappointing year, though. Only went six and six altogether. That was their first non-winning yeah. season in a decade. Yeah, I remember but they at the same time, but off. at the same time, like Texas. They were also only two and five in one score games last year. So even despite the fact that they're actually replacing quite a bit on both sides of the ball, like they needed a new quarterback to replace Chase Bryce. Um, but they do have one of the better running backs, you know, in the Sunbelt Conference, Nate Noel. You know, he was their team's leading rusher last year. He he only had 610 yards, excuse me, 604 yards. He had six touchdowns. He's been, you know, a pretty reliable ball carrier for them. And They've got like three guys behind him who could each pop off for like five. It's very Wyoming like. 
you know, they're they're a money marshal, Anderson Castle, and then they also picked up McQuall Haywood, who was a transfer from Navy. You know, that's that's like their version of McNeely, James, and, and Whaley right there. Yeah. Um so even though you know quarterback situation is still sort of in flux, they do also return four, excuse me, three different receivers who averaged over 15 yards of catch last year. And they have enough back on defense. You know, they have like, you know, Andrew Parker, Nick Rosser, quality, you know, all Sunbelt caliber types of players. I think the big difference for them or the big potential difference makers are how well they're going to be able to replace the talent up front where, you know, they were, you know, above average in terms of like team sack rate and stuff rate. A lot of new players in the front seven are going to have to contribute to that. This should be a very good game for both teams. And I think it's going to end up being a very useful witness test for both sides. It's at home. I'm leaning Wyoming just because they're at home for the replacement players. I do think they can win this game. I, I have it pegged as a win. It'll be a good one though. Cause that state's always good. Even though six and six last year, I was looking at the losses like close loss, double overtime, Georgia Southern, Coastal Carolina is really good. A lot of those games that were they're close in, but I know they replaced the talent. So that's a concern. And that's why I'm leaning going Cowboys with the win. Yeah. And sort of, you know, my guiding question in these games, and this is also going to be true of conference play, is how likely is it that they're going to get the upper hand against the defense that they're playing against? Well, they will versus New Mexico. <laughs> I do think they'll win that one as well. Yes. <laughs> but that stretch is hard. They beat New Mexico, which we'll get into Lobos later, because that'll be an interesting case study how they'll be this year. But this next stretch of Fresno, I know there's buys in here. Fresno at Air Force at Boise. That's tough. I have all three as a loss. Each of those are losing to the Cowboys the Cowboys. So this is okay. This is where I'm staking my claim. Oh. I know. That way hold on, hold has... on, wait, wait, hold on. Get your cowboy Joe bucket on and hat here to talk about this <laughs> barrel. Okay, all right, yeah, you could, yeah, you could you can imagine me putting that on if you want to. Get your suspenders ready. <laughs> this is where I'm staking my claim that the Wyoming offense will be better than years past because I think they're going to beat Fresno State. Wait, hold on, hold on. That's a low Force score. That's a low. That's a low bar. Wait, they're beating Fresno and Air Force. Yeah. Oh, are you going to the Fresno State Boise? game? It's a, well, I mean, it's on the road in Laramie, so probably not. Oh, my bad. I was looking at it wrong. Sorry. I, I, <laughs> sorry. I was thinking my mistake. I had whatever. You're right. Go to Laramie then. Show up in your cowboy outfit. <laughs> Go for it. Nah. No, Why are they going to be mean, Fresno I, State? It's at home. Is that a big key? It's a not, not like a cold weather game at that point. Any concern on that? Even though Fresno can handle it, as we've seen. I think if you if you look at the series history of this game, Wyoming has tended to play the Bulldogs pretty tough at home. Like even a couple of years ago, you know, last year's sort of blowout loss at Bulldog Stadium aside, it was two years ago, I think, that they went to Laramie and, and they had all the weapons. You know, they had Jake Hanger and, and Jalen Cropper Jalen Moreno Cropper and all them. And it was only 17 to nothing. Like Wyoming really turned it into a defensive slugfest. And it would not necessarily shock me if that same thing happened again, especially given we haven't talked about the Bulldogs in this previous series yet, but they haven't replaced a lot on offense. And if there's just enough regression on that side of the ball, then you know, I would say any of these games in this stretch, that, that Fresno Air Force Boise stretch that you mentioned, they could catch any of these teams at just the right time, the same way that they caught the Falcons last year. 
at home. I don't know. I get I get your point for us losing a lot. That's a game where I did I wasn't just saying wit losses just because it's guaranteed. Of those three, like I think that's what I'm doing is I'm basically betting that the Wyoming defense is going to make the difference in these games. They totally could. I think like Fresno game I could see because however I also trust Jeff Tedford quite a bit. So that's why I think he'll figure out the offense to be fine. And that might be a 20 to 14 game, something low scoring. Air Force, it's a rival game. It's that front six is really good, but I think it's on the road for Wyoming. I just like Air Force, what they typically do in that Boy State. I think Boy State is such a good offense. So that's kind of my quick answer to why they're not going to, they're going to lose all those games. I've like, if I'm going to pick where like Fresno and air force, like probably 50, 50, a little bit. I just, like I could see them splitting one of those, but right now it's like, that's, it's a back to back to back to back two in the road. Not easy. What about Colorado state and the border war? Yeah, they got that. They'll win confidently. As he says, it'll come back to bite him. No, no way it will in four months. <laughs> I mean, those games are typically bangers. Like it's it's sort of like oh yeah, <laughs> you throw the records out when it comes to those two teams because it almost always seems to be close. But I am with you. I do think that the Cowboys will win that one. Potentially interesting game the following week, though, in Las Vegas against UNLV. They're gonna win that game as well. Like I love Wamu, what Brett Marion might be able to do, and what Doug Brumfield is healthy there. I just I want UNLV is a team where they were close last year bowl game, but I don't believe it. They're one of the teams like. Okay, not to compare them to Texas, but show me something what you got for I'm going to believe in you that you're good. And well, UNLV hasn't been good in 20 years. Like, bless their last bowl game. We went to, I think, some Ticket City, Tax Slayer, insert random defunct company bowl game in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> How dare you but, disparage the 2014 Heart of Dallas Bowl? Oh, it's 2014, 10 years ago? Sorry, apologies. Just, <laughs> <laughs> it was a while ago. But point being... But, but I'm, I, I'm diverging, though. I think they're going to lose that game to the Rebels on the road. Why? What makes you think UNLV has enough to beat to score points against this team? I'm buying UNLV stock in general. Again, we haven't talked about the Rebels yet, so I'm I'm sort of playing it a little bit close to the fest. Okay. But I like the way that their offense is regrouping. And I do think that their defense could be a lot better than people are expecting it to be. I think that I think there's a possibility. I just I know they got Barry Odom there. We'll talk about them more in depth and what the coaches they brought in there. Luckily, to get rid of the stink of Bobby Petrino before it could do any damage there. So there's that positive to look at. Just a one that might be one win by itself to not have Bobby Petrino there in town. Yeah. So, but I I think it'll be a win. Then Hawaii, they're just not there yet. At Nevada, I know it's um it's no Nevada. I'm surprised. How were they not last? Well, we'll talk Nevada later. But I'm surprised they weren't last in our all conference bowl. I still don't think Nevada will have an improvement enough to challenge teams that are good. Mm-hmm. So they're going to struggle. What about you in those last couple of games? I think they should win both of those games comfortably. You know, holding on to the Paniolo Trophy, going on the road to Reno against Nevada. I think they'll probably win those games pretty handily. Gotcha. So what's your record then? Overall, so I have yeah. Wyoming at eight and four overall, six and two in conference. Six and two will put them in the running for the conference championship game. Yes, it will. I had them seven and five and five and three, and they played losing Fresno, Air Force, Boise. I could see a ceiling if things go extremely well, like beyond belief well, and this includes them beating upsetting Texas Tech, which will be a tall task. I could see them getting to 10. 
that probably I still don't think they could be Boise State. Of that three, Fresno Air Force Boise, I wouldn't be overly shocked if they win two. I just don't know if they can if they'll do it. But I'm sitting at seven to five. The the baseline, like the wor- like worst case, like my seven to five is probably their worst case scenario. Maybe I'm being too harsh on these record for the Cowboys, but I think eighty fewer than seven wins is not a good season for them. I would definitely agree. I mean, this is this is their best chance to get back to the Mountain West Championship game. Yeah, and had their schedule been spread out a little bit, let's let's say they played Fresno, swap Fresno and Hawaii, or Boise State and Nevada, like swap a couple of those games, so it's not the three best conference teams on their schedule in a row. I probably would pick them higher, but playing those three teams back to back to back, that's a tough task. And then their non-conference slate is really good as well, like. I'd say probably I don't know if the Sun Belts had their preseason all conference or order finish out there yet. So maybe I'm media days probably this week, I'm guessing. But yes. they're gonna be def- they're gonna be a tough out, not easy. Texas obviously very difficult, Texas Tech. Like if the health wise could be a big deal for them this first month of the season. So if there's any like I hate to predict injuries, but like that'll just be they'll be banged up earlier than some other teams could be who are playing a different non-conference schedule, like Man, I can't even say San Diego State because I got UCLA and Oregon State back to back. But it's just mm-hmm. a team where their non-conference schedule is pretty tough, and there'll be physical games for our good teams are playing. So that's where that's a little concerning as well. But I got them at seven to five. You got them at eight four, and that's our Wyoming Cowboys preview for. We are now. We're getting close, Matt. We're about halfway through here, or we are officially we are halfway, halfway through. through. We're at we're at the turn. Get... All right, man. So we'll see you next time. Subscribe mwr.com, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Threads as well. We're posting a little bit on threads. We're trying to figure it out what's good or not good over there. So it's not exactly Twitter. It's, it's but a we'll little see. slow over there. Like a lot of brands and influencers are uh, posting Take nonsense. But yeah, uh, I, think, trying... I think things will change You know, within the next 50 days as we're recording this. Once football season rolls around, we'll have plenty of opportunity to see you all over there. Can they just give us only people we follow? That'd be helpful, right? That's one thing I noticed. Yes, it would. And chronological order. I don't want something from 26 hours ago, 20 hours ago, unless it's my, unless that is my order of order of people I follow. So follow us over there. We're kind of doing the same thing at Twitter, but we'll see what's going on. Maybe we'll add some poll functionality and random stuff, whatever. So we can monitor multiple accounts like tweet deck or something. But until then check us out everywhere. MWR, MWR.com is the best place. Cause that's where everything's posted. We do for longer than 280 characters, but we'll see you next time. And, also, one fans, I hope you like our predictions. Hopefully, actually, I'll say this, but hopefully we're wrong in any way better. So you guys like us because you can you laugh have, at us. You have every terrible. right to have high expectations this year. You should. We might be a little skeptical, but I want to see Wyoming do well because it's fun when they do well because, yeah, it's always good when every team does well. And Wyoming get back there. I think this is their year. Schedule's tough, but I think if things if they overachieve what we think, they'll be really good. Really, really, really good. It's just the offense. Get it together, folks.